Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and this is Dan Campana, the Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you to our latest episode. And as we get closer and closer to the big show in Denver in late September, early October, Emergency Nursing 2022, we want to continue to, to share a little bit of what you can expect when you join us at the Colorado Convention Center. And one of the big uh, names, one of the big things that we're excited about is Michelle Poehler, our opening session keynote speaker. Um, Michelle is known as a fear facer and the author of Hello Fears, Crush Your Comfort Zone and Become Who You Were Meant to Be. Uh, she is here to tell us a little bit about, we're not going to give away the store, but she's going to be here to tell us a little bit about what you can expect when you see her uh, on the big stage on uh, during the opening session. So uh, let me welcome Michelle Poehler to the podcast. Michelle, hello. How are you today? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well myself. It's a, it's a sunny day here and hopefully things are nice and sunny in Colorado at the end of September. It's sunny there 300 days out of the year. So Hopefully we, uh, we're bringing the sunshine and the brightness in, indoors uh, as part of your session. Uh, real brief, just tell, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to, uh, to do what you do today in terms of your speaking and, and really your perspective on life. Wow, <laughs> where to start? So <laughs> I was born and raised in Caracas, Venezuela, where I lived for the first 19 years of my life. And then Things turn a little bit dark in my country, sadly. And so um, me and who now is my husband, that was my boyfriend at the time, we decided to leave the country to immigrate to the United States and, and start our careers here from scratch. So I moved to Savannah, Georgia, where I studied graphic design and art direction, graduated. We both moved to Miami to get married after four years of college. So a long distance relationship, got married. I was not happy either living in Miami or working in advertising. So I started going to therapy. I'm a big believer in mental health and we have to take care of that. That's like one of the first things we have to do if we want to live a happy life. And I, am, I also come from my house where my dad is a surgeon. My mom is a psychoanalyst. So, oh, wow. you know, I'm like, yes, I need therapy at this point. I need to <laughs> figure out what's not making me happy and how I can pursue my own happiness. And then I realized I needed to move to New York City. That was my dream since I was a little girl. So I moved to, I did, I'm telling you a very, like a, a brief recap of what was a really long story. Sure, she was sure. like convincing my husband to move to New York City. He's a financial um, planner, you know, like he cares about numbers. It was not easy. So we moved to New York. I, um, the reason why we moved is because I found out about a, a master's in branding at the School of Visual Arts. And I realized that my passion was not advertising, it was branding. And so I moved there, I started this master's and that changed my life. So that's where my life starts. It starts with my master's in branding, living in New York City. What I realized while I, while I was living in New York is that I was not really living to the fullest. I was in the city of my dreams, but I was not living my dream because of my fears. I've always been a very fearful girl, very anxious person growing up. I come from a family of World War II survivors. So they say fear goes from generation to generation. And so my mom was raised with a lot of fears and so was I. 
So I moved to New York and I was so afraid to live, to just be by myself, to explore that I was always in my comfort zone. And one day, as I was in my master's in branding, we all had to do a 100-day project of our choice, meaning we had to choose one thing to do repeatedly for 100 days in a row. I, in that moment, after going through a whole, like a, a process where I was able to identify that my fears were keeping me from living my best life, I decided to tackle one fear a day for 100 days. I read a book, really interesting book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, that in the book, it tells you to share with the world what you have to give. So don't keep, don't keep to yourself your, your value, basically. And just reading that made me want to publish all of my fears and through YouTube, through social media. Yeah. So I started recording myself and I put every single day a video out there of me facing a different fear. I really love video, video editing. So I was like very passionate just doing the whole project, branding this whole project. It was a very personal thing, but at the same time, I felt like if this can benefit other people, just watching a very fearful person go through her fears, why not put it out there? And I started from scratch. I didn't even have a, a YouTube account. So I, I, I didn't know anything about social media. I just started posting and posting and posting. And one day the project went viral. So it was day 40. I received an email from the Daily Mail in UK asking for permission to post my videos. I gave them permission and like my life changed from one day to the other because my face was all over. And a lot of people, when they hit virality from one day to the other, they're not ready and they don't know what to do about it. And very quickly, their life goes back to where it was because they don't know how to take advantage of that in, in the best sense of the word, like yeah. uh, what to do with that. And I realized I had a lot of influence by that point because I started receiving emails from people all over the world saying that they were inspired by my fears and that they wanted to face their own fears. I'm like, oh my God, this has a lot of impact throughout the world because fear is so universal. It's so personal at the end of the day, but it's also so universal. And so I was like, what can I do to like transcend this project? Like, so it doesn't stay as a 100 day project because one day I will reach the hundredth fear. Right. What happened? What happens next? And so I decided to give a TED talk as TEDx talk as my 100th fear. So as a way to uh, digest everything, like all the experiences, put it into a 15 minute talk and be able to impact way more people, not only through my fears, but through the things I'm learning and like the experiences, the conclusions, the aha moments. And so I went uh, for my 100th fear, I went uh, to Houston to speak at TEDx Houston. And that was another like life changing moment for me because I went from wanting to face a fear to realizing this is my passion. I love being on stage. I couldn't believe that my words were having direct impact in the people as I was speaking. So I would say a line that I came up with and then suddenly the entire theater would go like, oh, wow. And then tears, I, would, I was seeing people in tears and I'm like, this resonates that deeply. Like I didn't know for me, it was just like, I'm sharing an experience. And for them, it's like, you're changing my life. Sure. And so um, I was like one of the highlights of the day of the event, people were hugging me, like accidentally, I opened the door when I ended up the, the door of the like theater, people started coming out and they were hugging me one by one. I'm glad COVID was not a thing because that would have <laughs> been a mess. 
And so, yeah, from there, I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this more often. So we uh, build a website, a demo reel. We started reaching out to people saying, I have an important message I want to share with your company, with your association, with your school. And I started speaking little by little, all these little different places until this is now my full-time job. My husband also quit his job to support me full-time on this as the backstage person as my manager as you know the unsung hero behind the story and so we do this as a couple and now as parents we also do this uh with our our baby so we travel with him to most of our events and it's nice i get to do what i love next to the people that i love that's great and and you started to talk a little bit about the you know uh, tedx and, and certainly you've spoken at, at massive corporations you, you've covered the gamut you've talked you know in front of a lot of people they all come from different perspectives, but what is what are some you know at the high level? What are some of the the takeaways you hope an audience um, you know has after they've heard you speak? Because you've seen the emotion. I think that's one of the amazing things about what you said uh, as a speaker. You can see in the moment what the look is on the person's face, how they're connecting to you. But what do you hope that they walk away from you know at the end of your fifty minutes or after they've had a brief interaction with you? First of all, it's interesting that when I I speak. I don't see titles. I don't see like roles. I don't see age. I don't see gender. I see humans and we all have so many fears. And when I started speaking, I was afraid to speak to certain audiences. Like I remember the first time I was invited to speak in front of nurses. I was terrified. I'm like the things they face on the day to day. Like I can't even imagine like my project is nothing compared to what they do on their day to day, you know, like, and then I speak and they connect to the message because they also have fears. And then I have to speak to the army, to, uh, you know, lawyers, to all these people. I'm like, oh, they look so tough on the outside. Why, why are they hiring me? I always ask myself, like, why do they need me? Like, seriously. And then at the end, every time I, you know, they approach me in tears, thanking me because I'm not exactly sure, I can't even pinpoint exactly what it is. But one thing I, I, I realize is that when I speak and they see me on stage, they don't see me, they see themselves. They see the most accomplished, happy version of themselves. And they think, oh, it was that way. It's through my fears. It's not avoiding my fears that I'm going to, to reach the level I wanna reach. It's, through the fears and that's like the realization and they're like if she did it she really looks very scared and, <laughs> and, and like I don't know fragile if she did it why can't I so when I started speaking I thought I needed to look more polished and sound more polished and perfect than this and I saw all the speakers like female speakers be so powerful in on their heels and like you know, speak perfect English, which I don't, and all these things that I was like, I will never make it, like, I'm not like them, and when, what I realized after talking to my audience is, like, the reason why my words have so much impact in them is because I'm not perfect, it's because of all these little things I, I thought I had to improve, that's what connects, that's what people say, oh, she's a real person, so if she did it, can I do it, can I also achieve my happiest life at the end of the day is not about necessarily success as in the way of society frames success, but it's what is success to you? And that is what I want people to be really honest about. What is success to you? What is success on the day to day? What are those boxes you want to check for yourself? What if nobody could know that you checked that box? Would it still make you happy? 
That's what I want people to see. So it goes way beyond um, holding a tarantula or doing skydiving. It's not about those once in a lifetime fears that you face is the real fears that matter the one the the important decisions that we delay for years and years like change of career a divorce just raising your hand at a meeting to suggest a risky idea or ask for a promotion you know all these little things not not little I mean really big things that we <laughs> overlook and and that's what I want people to connect with like what are the things you have to do in order to achieve the life you you want not people around you but you and if people around you want something different that has nothing to do with you and so yeah I don't know I keep, keep talking and talking, and talking so <laughs> let me know if you have another question <laughs> well what you, what you were getting at was around the, the realm of, of genuine self and one of the things that I think emergency nurses I've learned in five years here is that um, they are very genuine they're very blunt they're very much about that outward presentation because they have to move from one difficult moment to another to another. You mentioned the army, you mentioned lawyers, you mentioned nurses, you know, being those tough crowds because um, they're probably not known for readily acknowledging their emotions, let alone fear. So, you know, in a nutshell, what, what do you do with audiences that aren't maybe as open to acknowledging their fears as someone who goes up there saying, well, I'm a fear facer and how do you bridge that gap for them? I think the answer is vulnerability. When you are willing to be vulnerable and open, that's what you get from an audience. And for example, that's one thing I tell people in social media. It, like who you are is a reflection of your audience. If you are like, I try to create a safe space. And the best way to create that is by starting with yourself. Like if you get in a vulnerable position, if you're willing to share your fears, your insecurities, the fact that you don't have everything figured out and that you embrace that and that you are okay with that and you're not trying to fight it or hide it or ignore it, that also gives people the feeling that they can also acknowledge their own fears and even speak about it. And so um, it just creates a really nice environment and very safe environment. Like in my tightest community, for example, um, I'm so honest. I always tell them what I'm going through. And so they feel the empowerment to be honest with me and tell me when I did something wrong. They're like, hey, Michelle, you posted this. I, actually, I think you, sh you should reconsider. I'm like, <gasps> you know, it feels weird. But at the same time, like, I'm so glad I'm cultivating this environment that people are willing to speak up, even if it's something, you know, for me or, or about me or whatever. So sure. I appreciate that. And then also what I do is I want people to recognize themselves not because we're all the time just seeing our flaws and our fear and this and like things we should improve you know we're, we're not perfect and we have to be and this is a space for you to be okay not being perfect and giving yourself credit for the things you are doing good which is something we don't do on the day to day so I want people to leave my this experience which is not I don't call it a, a presentation it's an experience yeah. I want people to leave feeling good about themselves that's like one of my main goals when i speak when i write on social media wherever whatever i do i just want people to feel good about who they already are and stop comparing themselves to people around them um so that, that begs the question what, what's different about your experience or motivational speaking in general in 2022 compared to, to pre-pandemic just because the world has gone through so much and your audiences regardless of who they are they've gone through a lot personally and professionally so what what is different in your mind about doing this sort of thing today versus three or four years ago 
in my mind, what increased is appreciation for in-person opportunities. I missed it so much during the last two years and it even became a fear to be in front of even your family, your closest family. I remember I was pregnant during the pandemic and my nieces would mean a threat to me because they were going to school and I'm pregnant and I don't want to get COVID. And I started seeing them as the enemy in some way, like, you know, and, and, and then my parents would see us also as like a threat. And it was like, you know, I can't believe we got to that point that human presence is dangerous. And I know it still is, and we're still going through this situation, but at the same time, little by little, we're going, it feels like going back to how things were in some way. We're not there yet, but we have the hope that we will get there. And now the difference is that I appreciate, I don't give it for granted, not even one single time. Like I used to speak up to 13 times a month in 2019. Uh, Yeah. And it was insane. I would be on a plane every two days. And now I speak much less because I'm a mom now. And because events are little by little coming back, they're not all, it's not like it was before. So I do three, four events a month and I appreciate them so much. Like every time I'm on stage, as I'm watching my audience watch one of my videos, so they're all quiet and I'm quiet. I'm just looking at them and I'm thanking the universe and God for this opportunity to be back on stage, to not have a, a camera in front of me and, and a chat and people I can't see. And, and, you know, so I just take that moment every single time to just appreciate being alive, being there, being present. And I hope the audience also, I think they also appreciate that a lot. Well, and, and you, you hit really on a theme of what, uh, what this year is about for us at Emergency Nursing 2022. It's the first time our largest event is in person since 2019. And, you know, we went through the virtual uh, events the last couple of years, and, you know, we were always happy with the level of engagement, but nothing replaces that face-to-face um, opportunity to see people. Um, you know, this is a professional conference, but it's, it is a family reunion in some ways because the, of the emergency nursing community. And uh, this is the time where they get re-energized by being around each other and learning together and also spending time together, not talking about their work. Uh, and so I, that leads me to, to what my final question would be is that what, to, what have you learned or what do you know, or what have your experiences been like with emergency nurses? Because they certainly, like I said, they hold themselves, um, you know, in, in a bit of a different place than other nurses, um, certainly being on the front line of everything that goes on, not just pandemics, but um, what, uh, you know, what, what have you learned or what do you know about emergency nurses or what do you want to learn about them? Well, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic when everything started going so crazy and because I spoke at the conference, like in front of emergency nurses, uh, I think it was a year ago or something like that. I think it was in 2018. Um, many of them were following me and they were expressing to me how they felt. So I was able to empathize in a different level. It's not what I hear on the news is seeing DMs on Instagram of them expressing their deep um, frustration when they can't do much about what's happening and lives are, you know, we're, we're losing lives and in their hands. And they, they told me like, I could have saved 20 people, but if I lost one, my day is ruined because of that one life. And I try to make them see, you know, you saved 
not only 20 people, but 20 families. Like that is a lot. And it, it's just so challenging at the end of the day. And what I did is I, I had this beautiful necklaces that say brave. And so I asked my community to donate um, as many as we can. And we ended up donating over a hundred of those to nurses all over the country. Um, I was just asking them, if you're a nurse and you follow me or you know a nurse, please tag them here, send me your address. And we started sending this out. I don't know at the end how many we ended up donating, but it was like hundreds of them. And, and they told me how appreciative they were to every day wear that to their job and, and think, okay, I am brave. I'm doing this with fear, but with a lot of courage. And so, yeah, that, that's like my experience. Uh, I am excited to go back, excited to connect with them again. Hopefully my message will resonate in a different way this time also. Um, every time you hear my message, uh, it, it just hits different points depending on where you are in your life. Um, so yeah, very excited about this opportunity. Well, I can tell you that the excitement uh, is, is being reciprocated as we see people signing up uh, to be in Denver uh, or to, even as part of our digital access where they'll be able to see your presentation, your experience, as you put it, um, you know, during the, the keynote opening session. Uh, Michelle Pollard, thank you so much for being a part of the ENA podcast today. And, uh, you know, I, we look forward to seeing you in Denver in, uh, in a couple of months. Thank you for having me. I can't wait. <laughs> I'll see you, everybody. <laughs> So that'll do it for, for this episode of the ENA podcast. And, and of course, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, ENA.org slash EN22 is where you can find everything you want to know about what we'll be doing in Denver or what you can get through our digital access, uh, including more information about Michelle and some of our other keynote speakers uh, throughout uh, the, our time in Denver. And um, if you missed it, uh, you know, this past week, uh, the early bird uh, deadline has been extended. Uh, so you have a couple more weeks to save a few bucks on your registration. And uh, certainly, as, as was we've talked about during the episode here, uh, it's our family reunion in some ways, uh, bringing together thousands of emergency nurses together for the first time since we were in Austin. So hopefully, uh, as many people as possible can join us. And uh, ena.org slash en22 is where you can get all the info and get yourself registered to be there. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, this is Dan Campana. We're looking forward to uh, you joining us next time on the ENA podcast.